Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast on the Class. Breakfast on the Class today is dedicated for the speedy and complete Fuash of our Rabbani Chana Farke Chana Batsiba Fega. Uh, please make berachot for her refuah and as well for Eliyahu Shimon ben Mazal Fortuna, uh, for Rabbi Eli Abadi, dedicated loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safra, Leonishmat Leah Batchana, and dedicated loving memory of Joseph's father, Elliot Safra, Leonishmat Eliyahu ben Jamil Yaakov, sponsored by Michelle and Joseph Safra. Also, Rebekah's class is dedicated for speedy and complete refuah for David ben Chana, David Zaytuni, sponsored by his son, Remy Zaytuni. Please make Be'achot for his refuah. We hope that his uh, surgery uh, worked out well, Be'ezat Hashem. And uh, finally, the week of Kobu is sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. We'd like to welcome a longtime listener, first-time attender, Larry Almo, coming all the way from uh, Seattle, Washington, where he listens to the class every day and shares it with others. Yishtabach Shemo. Fantastic. I forgot one of these. There's one more. It's also sponsored anonymously, dedicated in the merit that our son should engage in Limud Torah. What a gorgeous idea to sponsor Torah. And the only beracha that they want is that their son should grow in Torah. Magnificent. Uh, we also uh, want to wish a beautiful Mazal Tov. And congratulations to uh, our very own Charles Darwish, uh, to Charles and Deborah for last night uh, dedicating the most magnificent Sefer Torah to the Beit Knesset that we used this morning and said Yehi Shem for. Uh, very, very special. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure, at the end of the day, Sefer Torah is a special thing, but I'm not sure it trumps the feeling that a Syrian man gets when they say Yehi Shem. <laughs> you know, that is, as, as, Biyom Hatunato, Biyom Simhat Libo, as the... <laughs> you say gets married, then they say Yishem. Okay, so my friends, <clears throat> we want to wish everyone uh, uh, a month of simcha, a month of bracha. Uh, we, need, we need beautiful brachot, and uh, we hope HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bless us with them throughout this entire, entire beautiful month. Let us begin. We have been discussing the paradigmic understanding of the, Mish- of the Mishkan and the Beit HaMikdash. How one builds a home for God in this world. And we've explained that each one of the elements in the Mishkan is an ingredient in the recipe for how one builds what we started, the first class, it was called God Space. How you build God Space. Dira Batachtonim, a place for God in the lower worlds. So much of the Torah is, so much of, the, of this perasha revolves around this beautiful concept of this is how you do it. I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to use a building to show you how to do it. But the building is a mashal, it's a paradigm, it's an example for how a person can build this element into their day-to-day life. So I wanted to share with you uh, the next step or the next lesson. And there are so many lessons. We could spend an entire year just delving into each point of the Mishkan to understand why it was important. And to, un- to underscore this point, I want to give you an example of this concept. The Pasuk tells us that when Aharon lit the candles of the menorah, he lit the candles exactly like he was commanded to by Moshe Rabbeinu. Rashi says something cryptic. He said, to speak the praise of Aaron, of Aaron Cohen. Why? That he did not change. And all the commentators are bothered by this. What? What did you think was going to happen? Moshe was going to command them, okay, light all the lights and the candles. Of the mid- and Aaron was going to be like, no, today I'm going to light half. You know, Moshe's like, light it with the most pure olive oil. 
Aaron's like, no, I'm a pyromaniac. I brought gasoline, right? What, what did you think was going to happen? That the Torah needed to tell you. He did it the way he was supposed to. And Rashi explains, He didn't change. There are many answers to this question, my friends, but I want to share with you one. We know that in front of the, uh, the, the menorah, there were stairs. And they were mandated in the building of the Mishkan that there should be these stairs to be able to step up and to light uh, the menorah. However, we also know that Moshe Rabbeinu and Aharon were inordinately tall. They were giants. We know in the story of Moshe battling against Og, we know Moshe is enormously tall. You're like almost to the point where you think to yourself that Moshe must have suffered from gigantism. Okay? Enormously tall. Moshe is this towering figure. Aaron, same thing. When Aaron climbed up the stairs to light the menorah, he had to bend down to light the menorah. So the purpose, the function of the stairs for Aaron were pointless. Still, says the Mechat Chinuch, Le'agid shvacho shel Aharon, shelo shina. Aharon used stairs he didn't need. Why? Because he understood that the stairs were there for a purpose. It happens to be I'm very tall, but the stairs have to be there. There's a reason, there's a logic, there's a, learn, there's a learning point that's there, and therefore, just because I don't need them doesn't mean that it shouldn't be used. Fascinating. And that's why it's a chidush, because Aaron didn't need it, and yet he used it. Because he understood that there was a fundamental truth about these stairs that transcended the physical expression of those stairs. And maybe it wasn't relevant in my personal, in my physical world, but it would be relevant forever and ever. And therefore, he used the stairs he didn't need. Is this clear? Therefore, if the Torah tells you that there's a little, uh, what's it called? Uh, around the edge of the shulchan, there's a grate, like we said yesterday, there's a mizgeret, right? There's a little uh, 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 woven piece of metal, right? A frame. There has to be a reason for that frame. And it's our job to unearth that reason, to understand what it means in human terms, okay? Because that's how we'll build the chintasu. So I want to take a look at the menorah with you today, just for a few minutes. Uh, that we have together. The menorah was an exceptional piece of hardware. It was so exceptional, it was so complex, that out of all of the vessels of the Mikdash, Moshe Rabenu was unable to fathom how to make it. Nitkashe Moshe. It was hard for Moshe to understand. He didn't know. So what did God do? God showed him an image of the menorah made out of fire. He says, make it like this. Make it like this. And now Moshe Rabbeinu understood. And yet our rabbis tell us that still Moshe was unable to make the menorah. So what did they do? They took the gold for the menorah, they threw it in the fire, and what emerged was this miracle of the completed menorah. Now, I don't need to talk about this for the sake of our Dvar Torah today, but I just wanted to plant some seeds in your brain, in your subconscious brain. First of all, I want you to think about 
how there's some sort of interesting dynamic happening here. There's some sort of revisiting, some sort of fixing. We know that the, that the Mishkan, one of the things that the Mishkan was mechaper on was the Egel. How did they make the Egel? Same way. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know how to make the menorah. God shows him a menorah made out of fire. He doesn't need to show him it made out of fire. He could show it made out of gold. It's just an image. And yet, it's made out of fire. Moshe Rabbeinu then doesn't know how, and he realizes perhaps, Moshe, in the moment that the miracle happens, that that was not an instruction manual, that was a prophecy. He was seeing the menorah made out of, made out of fire. In the completion, so to speak, in the, hundred, in the uh, 180 degree turnaround that the Jewish people had managed to do from serving idols to serving God. I don't need this for what we're talking about today, but I want to plant this in your brain as we move towards the idea I want to share with you today. Because I think it's incredibly important. What was it that God was trying to do by making the menorah complicated? Perhaps HaKadosh Baruch Hu had an ulterior motive in creating or asking Moshe to create the uncreatable. God knows everything. You're going to make me make a menorah that I'm not going to know how to make, then you're going to show me how to make it, but you're still not going to be able to make it. So then who's going to make it? You're going to make it. So you know what? Hashem should have done from the beginning. Here, guys, you make the menorah. I'm going to donate the menorah. Here you go, from the beginning. There you go. Wouldn't that Moshe have felt much better about it? They're not going to be able to create it anyway. There's many lessons just in this question. And I will leave your brains to chew on that. But I want to focus on one point that emanates from this idea, okay? What was so hard to make about the menorah? What was so difficult? And Chachamim explained that it wasn't just the intricate nature of the cups and the circles and the flowers and the way the arms connected. It wasn't just the aesthetic of the menorah. There was one thing about the menorah that made it incredibly difficult, and that was miksha achat, which means that you needed to be able to bang, bang out the menorah, right? <laughs> Sorry, I'm a very weird person. I think you guys know that about me now. So I have these in my mind, I have these like images that I see, like almost like a scene from a comic book or like a flash, like it's, that's just have, I read something and I just imagine something and it, there's no reason why. I just imagine some teenager and they show him the menorah for the first time and he's like, Banging. But the point is, <laughs> that is how my brain works, right? Miksha achat, they needed to be banged out. They was not allowed, you were not allowed to use a scalpel. You could not use a pick. You couldn't pick away. That's how any normal craftsman would make the menorah. You would make eight arms individually, right? You would take uh, seven arms, excuse me, six arms in the middle. You would make the arms individually. You'd then put them together. You weren't allowed to do that. It couldn't be many pieces. It needed to be one piece. Not only did it need to be one piece, you couldn't then take the square and then carve away at it. You needed to literally take a square of gold and then just stop banging until eventually you bang the gold because gold is pliable, it's soft, right? Uh, not to be confused with pliables, but it's, it's pliable, you get it all the way down and then you go to the next one and you bang, 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 and then you bang, bang, bang until eventually you've banged and then you start shaping. It's incredibly difficult to do that. Now remember, you can't attach them later, which means you need to get your hammer in between the two bars 
and then you're going gonna, to you're gonna fashion the, the sides of the bar and also the circles. And, you need, and now there's another stick there. You need, everything is so tight, it's so constricted, it's so impossible. Why would God care if you fashioned it out of? Why would God care if it's different pieces? What's the point? My friends, I want to share with you an amazing idea. The menorah was designed, as we know, each one of the kelim was designed for something else. But the menorah was designed to give light. That was its point. But paradoxically, if you went to the Beit HaMikdash, you'd discover that the windows of the Beit HaMikdash, the Gemara tells us, were not created in a normal way. They were created in the inverse of the way anyone would create windows. You create windows, what are windows for? Right? You want to be able to have light come into, into your space. So you make windows wide, as an example. Right? What did the Beit HaMikdash have? The Mikdash, Beit HaMikdash had windows that were wide on the outside of the building and then narrowed on the inside. Which meant that you had this receptacle to bring light in, but then it was narrowed by the wall so the, the light didn't benefit the Beit HaMikdash. Why? To teach a lesson that I am Oroshel Olam, God says. I am the light of the world. I provide light to the world. I will be, I will bring the light unto the world. Okay? And the world doesn't bring me light. So, therefore, what did we do? We created this in out situation where the menorah would shine its light to the rest of the world. By the way, I want you to understand something very powerful here. We have that language in another famously iterated sentence. Where else do we have this idea, Oro Shel Olam, the light of the world? Where else do we have that concept? Tevat Noach, we have it, but not exactly that concept, the light of the world. Where else do we have this idea of light to the world? Or Lagoyim. The, the Navi tells us that the purpose of the Jewish people is to be a people that brings light to the world, that communicates charity, that communicates compassion. Someone just now, we had someone in the Beit Knesset, a woman, terrible situation, she's crying, crying, crying. Someone comes up to me and says, I feel terrible. I feel, I can't believe I'm so shaken up from that story. I said, you were there, you were there. I said, good. That's what a Jew's supposed to feel like. It's one of the identifying characteristics of a Jewish person. There are simanim, there are signs of a Jew, and one of the signs are Baishanim, Rachmanim, Gomlech Hasadim. You got two out of three. Rachmanim means you have mercy. Gomlech Hasadim means you do kindness. If you feel terrible because someone has cried, that means that your heart is working. We're supposed to bring that to the world. We are supposed to bring that to the world. We are or lagoim. My friends, now you understand. If the menorah is giving, bringing God's light to the world, and we are commanded, and you do what I'm telling you to do, you make it, you be it. So a person in the menorah is supposed to see the concept of the light that they bring to the world. What they contribute. What they uh, influence, how they sensitize, how they make the place, this place, 
a better place because they were born. My friends, are we on the same page? Yeah, if that's what the menorah is, now we understand. What makes you the person you are? What makes you the sensitive person you are? What makes you the nice person you are? What makes you the good dad, the good friend, the good, the beautiful, you know, sensitive Jewish mom? What makes that? You see, human beings, the way we live is really a very difficult, a very challenging way to live. Human beings today live with a scalpel in their hands and they cut away every part. There was nothing that annoys a grandpa more than watching their little kid take a banana and cut off all the pieces that are brown. Every grandma has said to every kid, there's nothing wrong with that part. Right? It's honey. Nothing wrong with that part. Because they have lived life long enough to know that you don't cut away the ugly parts. The parts that are brown is just because they're bruised. What happens when the, when the banana is bruised? That part, it gets mush, it actually becomes sweeter. My friends, your light comes from your life. But not from the highlight reel of your life. Not from the good moments and from the happy days. Your greatest light comes from the parts that you, given a scalpel, would cut away. You know what happens when you use a hammer to make a menorah? There's no part of that menorah that gets thrown away or wasted. Every part is just banged further down. That part, which is now a hole, it gets used in the arm, in the base, in the cups, in the flowers, in the base. The idea of the menorah is to not throw away pieces of your life. To recognize that every single part of my life is fuel for fire. You want to know what made you sensitive to someone? You lost someone. They're talking about losing someone and you know what that feels like. They're talking about children. Maybe your children are not unwell. But maybe you struggle to have children. Maybe as a child you were unwell. And your parents couldn't take care of you. Your greatest impact comes from the things that you feel, that you understand, that you relate to the most. And that's what the concept of the menorah is driving home. Miksha achat. This life, it's not pieces. They don't get put together. You know, people all the time talk about getting past something. That's not how it works. You never get past something. You go through something. And when you go through that thing, with good news, with medium news, or with bad news, you ultimately are richer for it. My friends, that is the lesson of the menorah. So comes Aharon and says, there's a stairs here. I'm supposed to go up these stairs. I don't know why I'm being dragged upstairs. I don't need to go up. Lagid shvacho shel Aharon. Here's a question. People often ask themselves, why? Why, Hashem? 
Why are you doing this to me? Why did I have to go through this? Why are you putting me through this? And it is the job of a Jew to use those moments for self-introspection, to figure out what God is telling them, to improve their ways 100%. I got you. But I want to suggest a piece of that self-reflection that people seem to be missing. Not just what did I do wrong that got me here. But where do I go from here? You see, the focus for most people is a Musar-based focus. How did I, why did I get here? I know that God is just. There has to be a reason why I'm in this place. So they look to self-reflect, how did I get here? But not enough people are asking, where do I go from here? Your whole life is miksha achat. It's fuel. Sometimes, as an example, there's elements of your life that you think, you know, these are the moments that, sh- you know, the moment that shaped me, it was that opportunity that I got. It was this success. I did this deal. And they pick out only the elements. They pick out only the elements. Each one of the arms of the menorah, and they're like, that's, that's my moment. It was when I got married. It was when I was, first became a father. Those are the most impactful moments of my life. You know what they don't realize? That arm, what was it made out of? It was made out of the gold that was in the negative space that sits between those two bars. The negative space that you had to go through to be able to create another arm, to be able to have something that could hold yet another flame. I don't know what you hope to achieve in this world and I don't know what you've already achieved, but I can promise you one thing. If you take a cold, hard look, you'll realize that your greatest achievements are often so inextricably linked with your greatest failures or with your greatest sadness or with your greatest missed opportunity. Because what fuels you to take a risk, to take a chance on something more than having learned the pain of a missed chance? So your success now You're blaming it on your business acuity, your acumen. You're blaming it on your gut. You You know what made that gut? The last time you messed up. We're ignoring the, the bruised parts of the banana, my friends. And we're throwing it out. And God, our warm, kindly grandfather in heaven is saying, Rochi, that's not the worst part of your life. It was maybe perhaps the most difficult part to get through. But it might be in a backwards analysis at the end of your life, the best part of your life. Anyone who's been through a very difficult scenario will know it changes you. It elevates you. You don't pray the same. You don't study the same. You don't give tzedakah the same. You don't treat your wife or your husband the same. Because for a second there, you didn't know. I went to speak at an event. It was called Yad Batya Lekala. Fantastic event. 23,000 kalot already. They've managed to set up with everything that they need to start their new home. So you pull up with your car 
blankets and pillows and, and cutlery and plates and forks and knives. People that can't afford, they give them everything they need to start. What a gorgeous idea. Now the organization was started in memory of a young woman. She passed away, she was 19 years old. She was married for a, a few months. She passed away she, while she was pregnant. Unbelievable, tears your heart out. And her sister stood up and she spoke about what a wonderful, fun, kind, besimcha person her sister Batya was, alayha shalom. And she gave many stories and everyone was warmed. But it was almost the last line that she said. After learning all the lessons that she learned from Batya's life, I think the lesson that hit the people the most was the very last thing she said. Where she said, and ladies, if you have a sister, appreciate that you have a sister. I can promise you one thing. How many people in that hall decided that minute that they need to make a phone call? Maybe a phone call that they haven't made because they're upset. Maybe a phone call that they haven't made because they've been too busy. But my friends, light comes from darkness. And that, my friends, was what Moshe struggled to understand. He says, I don't get it. How do you want me to communicate this to the people? How can I build them a framework where they'll be able to take their most difficult moments and turn them into something beautiful? I don't know how to do it. And God showed him. The way you do it is you take the whole bunch, everything that comes, and you throw it into fire. We discussed in Perashat Shekalim that fire always means energy. From a, from a place of you, from a, uh, an understanding of physics, we understand that everything in this universe is either matter or energy. What is matter? Matter is unconverted energy. What is energy? Right? That which has been released from consumed matter. In fact, it's one of the rules of thermodynamics. Conservation of mass and energy, correct? Now this idea, my friends, is what God was communicating, was the rule of thermodynamics. That in this world, there is mass and there is energy. And it is either one or the other. Mass is heavy, it's weight, it doesn't move. Energy is the fastest thing in the universe. Such is life. Take that, all that heaviness, throw it into excitement, energy, passion, a positive outlook, a decision not to get stuck and not to be sad and not leave your bed, but a decision to make the very most out of what you've got. And what comes from that mass? Energy, light, excitement. My friends, Hashem should bless us to be able to look at our entire life and to love every minute of our lives. To be able to see value in the worst day, sometimes even more than in the best day. Hashem should bless us, Be'ezrat Hashem, that we should, zocheh, we should be zocheh, just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Oroshel Olam, the light of the world, so to the Jewish people who are commanded to emulate God are also given the charge by the Navi 
to be or lagoyim, a light unto the nations. But before we're a light unto anybody, we at the very least need to be a light unto ourselves. And sometimes all you can manage is the amount of light that comes out of a nightlight. And sometimes if you build, if you see, if you recognize that there is some light, even if it's small, that I'm doing something beautiful, even if it's not as much as I want it to be, that there's something of value here, even if it's not as much as I would wish, then the flame grows and grows and grows until eventually you're this magnificent spotlight lighting something up uh, with the most brilliant uh, with the most brilliant form of energy, of light, that there is in this world. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.